Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello, radio listeners. We have just finished a lovely day at BYU Education Week in Provo, Utah. And I will say, Linda, I don't know if this happened to you, but I have several people come up and say, wow. We listen to you on BYU Radio. I was quite happy about that. Yeah, it's nice to know there's somebody out there. We we appreciate all you listeners, and we've had a fun day. We always, for a while, we did four days, Tuesday to Friday, and it's just too much for us. I don't know who does that, but we run out of gas. We we we've only got one good day of speaking and teaching in us, and then we're kind of beat. How do professors teach every single day? How do you know, we ought to all appreciate uh, high school teachers who teach probably six or seven periods every day, five days a week. It's Bless amazing. their hearts. I, I go three hours of teaching, and I'm ready for the hot tub. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I don't know, most of these people are professors, so maybe they're more used to it than us. But, you know, after three hours, I'm I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, we're ready to drive on home and... Have ourselves a burger. A burger. Speak for yourself. Um, we did have some interesting topics today, though. You want to talk about a couple of them, and I'll talk about what I talked about? Well, tell about yours first, honey, because you have, you you just, we did two sessions together, and uh, then we split up and did one. And now this is a little bit of irony. Or poetic justice, I don't know which. I uh, my last hour, where I was by myself, was on the five gifts of aging, getting older. Why did I have to teach that, Linda? Well, Linda went off to the young crowd and talked about the five ways to raise joyful children or to create a joyful childhood. So and we each had five, and you had the young ones, and I had the old ones. I guess I'm a whole lot older than you. I guess it also says a little bit about uh, what is the configuration of people here at Education Week. You had about 800 people, and I had about 300. <laughs> well, <laughs> just because your room was too small, yeah. so you had more if you could have got more in. But a lot of you listeners, if you are members of the LDS Church, have probably experienced Education Week, one week in August every year, where people from really all over the world, I had a lovely couple from the Philippines come up and, some people from Ireland and so on. China. It's kind of a nice melting pot, gathering pot, but they they really, a lot of people just swear by it. They come every year and spend a week just selecting classes from literally, I don't know how many hundred classes there are, picking the ones that match with their interest and going around and kind of being back in school again. It's really quite amazing. And so many good people, and it's so fun for us because so many of these good people know our children now um, who, who through different connections, whether it's school or Jerusalem or mission or whatever. And so it's just a delight to meet these people who now know our adult children. Yeah, the, uh, that's, the, that's the transition. Our kids used to get asked, hey, are you Richard and Linda's son or daughter? And now, tables have turned, hey, are you Noah's dad? Hey. Are you Shawnee's father? And we love it. That's that's what we'd like to be. In fact, if we had our way, we wouldn't even have names. We'd just have a name tag that said, Shawnee, Noah, Eli, Talmadge's dad, or whatever, you know? 
Yeah, that's really a lot of fun. But it is interesting to go back and think about what creates a great childhood. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I really um, incorporated a, an article that I read this year that I that we love by Bruce Feiler um, called The Stories That Bind. It's in the New York Times. And he suggests that it is so important to have a family narrative. Yeah, we talked a little about this last week. It was great. Um, well, the just of how it applies to a childhood. Yeah. You know, making a joyful childhood by having things that kids can rely on, whether it's stories about their ancestors, their grandfathers or great-grandfathers, or whether it is uh, having boundaries, knowing where the boundaries are, that's a family narrative. Having family laws and and, and things where they know that the buck stops here and then the discipline starts here and you can only go so far and then you have to have a consequence if you break a family law. Right, and the, the other two, the two we did together, just uh, so you're not dying of curiosity out there, the first one uh, had to do with being a good parent as your kids begin to leave home. As the teenagers become 18 and start shipping out, parts unknown, how do you transition from a full-nest parent to becoming a emptying-nest parent? We had a lot of fun with that. We'll make a couple of comments on that. And then our middle one was kind of our standard, you know, number one topic these days. And, and by the way, the, the topic that is the, of the most interest to the most parents around the world right now and that is the entitlement trap, how to raise responsible kids in a world where there's a whole lot of entitlement going on. It sure is. It's people's biggest concern, and it doesn't just apply to little kids that are home either. I mean, there are as your kids leave home, they're feeling more entitled than they ever were. Um, they need more help than they ever were, and... So many parents are giving them help, no strings attached, and we are just really suggesting that people don't do that. If you give kids money, say, uh, I'll help you with half or fourth or whatever you can do, but give them, you know, some teeth in the game because, no, it's not teeth in the game. What is it? Teeth in the game. That's even better than skin in the game. Skin in the game. That's it. Um, it just is important for them to feel like they have some ownership of things that um, they don't deserve, but that you're helping them with. So it was a fun day, and um, maybe we'll just give you a few highlights uh, for a little while here until we come to the break. One of the things that I enjoyed, and oh, by the way, then my I mentioned my last session was how to grow old gracefully if there is such a thing, and I want to just say a word or two because. I got thinking about this, and it really seemed to resonate. We, we had kind of a celebration of gradual aging in this last group of 800 people or so, and the whole idea was, look, what a great time to be getting a little older. I mean, here we are, most of us in the room were baby boomers, which would be technically those born between 1946 and 1964, 80 million of us in the United States alone, the biggest generation ever to come along, aptly named baby boomers, but the size of our generation is one pretty good benefit of 
beginning to get old now because there's so many of us. Everybody seems to cater to us, and baby boomers seem to be at the heart of a lot of marketing strategies and everything else. So it's good for that way. But I wanted to go a little further, and we got started talking about how what a wonderful time this is to live, and what a what a great time to be growing a little older, and what a what a great place to be here in America for many of us to be in the church that we believe and, and honor, and for others to have their own values that they honor and respect. And I was telling of a guy that I ran into the other day who said, you know, I just think it's the worst time ever. I think it's the worst of times. Life is too complicated right now. He was a dad, and he said, my kids are bombarded by all this Internet and all this electronic stuff and Facebook and all the social media, and, man, it just makes everything so hard and so complicated, and I I long for a simpler time, blah, 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 and you hear that a lot, that kind of sentiment. But I got thinking, you know, it's a little like, I don't know if this is a great metaphor, but it works for me. It's like if you had a choice of two places to eat, and one of them was this unbelievably diverse smorgasbord. I mean, they had everything in there. You you could wander around, pick anything you wanted from all kinds of variety. Some of it you might not like, but somewhere in there, there was everything. Or you could go across the street and eat at a little greasy spoon cafe where you only had two choices for breakfast, oatmeal or scrambled eggs. No, nothing wrong with oatmeal or scrambled eggs, but you see my point. Um, we shouldn't complain about the diversity and the bounty that's available to us. Yes, we have to be selective. Yes, we have to be a little careful that we don't eat the wrong things, but I, for one, would prefer the smorgasbord to the uh, greasy spoon. And We ought to just be grateful, especially if you're in our generation. We ought to just be grateful and the other thing, just quickly, Linda, I'm going on here a bit, but um, I did have the oldsters. I have to say what I said. I feel like, you know, in fact, I said it the wrong way. I, the biggest laugh I got the whole day is when I said, you know, um, 60 is the new 80. <laughs> <laughs> I got it a little oh, backwards. That. that got me a good old rousing round of laughter, but, but in fact... You know, 80 really is the new 60. Uh, Someone who's 80 years old today is in kind of the same situation that someone who was 60 was a generation ago. An 80-year-old might be able to plan on another good 10 years. It's quite likely that he will be able to if he's fairly healthy. And go back a generation, a 60-year-old is probably hoping for another 10 years. And we've just got so many advantages. I even told about your electric bike, honey. Oh, you did? You told my secret? I told your secret. I said, Lynn has been looking for a sport all her life that she really liked, and she finally found it, electric biking. Ah, so now they know. You know, several people came up, Lynn, and said, are you just making that up, or is there really an electric assist bike? I said, hey, go online, man. You just ride them like a normal bike, and if you get a little tired going up a hill, give it a little juice, and it'll just take you right up there. You'd love it. I do love it. I've finally fallen in love with something that I can actually do. I am the most unathletic person. In fact, um, I'm just klutzy. I, they gave me a, there was a little cup of water, which I didn't notice at this last um, 
cloth, and I knocked it over, and I didn't notice it. So the whole thing, my, my little uh, sun dry was swimming in water. Luckily, it still worked. It's but I didn't know this guy comes up with all these paper towels in the middle of the thing and starts mopping up the desk. I just figured, oh my goodness. Anyway. Well, we're coming for a break, but we'll come back afterwards and give you a few more gems from Education Week. Ayers on the Road, parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. So we might want to say parenting and grandparenting in a modern world. I'd like to know the demographics on our show, but I've got a sneaking suspicion that there's as many grandparents listening as parents. So we want to go both ways. Absolutely. And in fact, grandparenting is a lot more fun, I think. Well, grandparenting, I think, is a whole lot more fun because <laughs> you can send the little beggars home. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we don't have to be responsible for all of their everything that they learn and their values and their potty training and all that stuff. So we really liked the role of grandparents, and we liked the role of empty nests. Um, we, as we mentioned last week, we had six weeks with kids here coming out our ears, kids and grandkids. And we loved it. We absolutely adored having them there. But we also were really kind of glad to wave at the last airplane that took off. Here's a little bit of advice I gave to our audience today that I'll pass on to you. I don't take credit for it. This is just common sense. But I said, you know, why don't you, as grandparents, have a little meeting with your kids, the parents of your grandchildren, and you can do it one couple at a time or all together, whatever you think is best, and essentially say to them something like the following, look, I understand that you are the responsible party for your children, and I wouldn't dream of having it otherwise. You're the steward, they're your responsibility, and you're in charge. And I would never for a minute want to usurp that, or nor would I ever want to suggest that I know better than you do. After all, they're your kids, and you're the ones who will get the inspiration and the guidance. Having said that, I would love to be, or we would love to be, really proactive grandparents. We'd like to help. We'd like to be a resource to you. This is not a dinner with the grandkids. This is with the parents, your children, who are now the parents. We'd like to help. What, are there some areas, what would you appreciate us doing and what would you like us not to do? What, what would be useful and beneficial and synergistic with you, what you're doing as a parent? And where would you like to just bug off and not have us involved and not have us telling you too much? And I think, I think most grown kids with children of their own respond very, very positively to that and it gives them a chance, gives you a chance to listen. And it gives them a chance to tell you what their view of their children is in terms of what they need and how you could be helpful and where maybe you're going a little overstepping the mark and so on. It's a great discussion to have. And I also said if you're that doesn't that talk doesn't have to be initiated by the grandparent. If you're a parent and you have some wonderful parents of your own who love your grandchildren, your children, and want to help out. You initiate the meeting. Say, let's go to dinner. Take them to dinner. That'll, that'll throw them a curve. And say, hey, you know, we love you as our parents, and we want you to help us in the raising of our kids. Here's the areas where we feel like we could use your help. 
You know, and somebody said to me today, and I didn't ever get back to her on this darn, I was promised her that we'd say something in the presentation. The biggest complaint we have about unentitling kids is that, you know, parents do their job and they make sure that kids have to earn their own money, get their own stuff, and this, all the stuff that they want, they earn. But then when they find that they can't afford something, they just go to the grandparents. And you say, please, please, could you get me new shoes or could you get me this or that or the other? And the grandparents are just happy to do it. And so I do think it's absolutely crucial that we meet with these parents and tell them, you know, we really want to help you. What are we doing that's detrimental? What are we doing that's good? What can we do that would help you? And I think all of them would respond to that. Yeah, I really do, too. And the other thing, we had a little fun because I'd say the average age in my last session was probably 65. A lot of, a lot of seniors there. And, and I, you know, I put up a slide and said, how many of you uh, email? Well, they all pretty much raised their hands. And we did this in the first session, too, with Linda and I together. How many of you text? That was pretty good. It was about 90%. At least they know how to text. And I said, well, how many of you, you know, are on Facebook? And it was going down a little. How many of you uh, know how to do Instagram? And how many of you do uh, Google Plus and so on? And And our basic point was, if you want to communicate with your grandkids, you better know how to do what they do. And uh, if you think it's just a matter of writing them a letter in longhand, I mean, they might think that was a pretty novel idea. They might pay attention to it. It might be the first letter they ever got. But at the same time, to really communicate with them, I think it's a good idea to ask each grandkid, hey, what do you like to do most with me? Do you like emailing? Do you like texting? Do you like... Instagram, you like Facebook, what do you like, you know, and, and precious few of them are going to say email anymore, by the way. Yeah, and in fact, you know, we have a couple of granddaughters that love Instagram, and nothing delights them more when I see them. We have a daughter who's uh, going into her sophomore year of high school, and she's a great photographer, and every time, granddaughter, granddaughter, did I say daughter, anyway, um, she's 15, and every time she posts a picture, she gets over 400 Comments and likes, likes. I mean, you know, you just—it's just amazing. How how could she even know 400 people when you're in high school? I mean, I guess there's a lot of people in the high school, but how does that word get out? It blows. Well, if you saw Ellie, it's all the boys that want to know her. That's why she's getting so many. Well, I don't know, but she delights her when I when I say Ellie. How do you get over 400 likes within an hour of when you post something on? Instagram, and the fact that I know that just delights her, and it, the fact that our 11-year-old Grace, even though they live in Arizona, uh, knows that I know Chloe is her best friend, and I'm happy that it was her birthday and so on, and if I mention that to her, it just delights her to know that I care enough about her life to be involved and know what's going on. And see, that really makes the point, you grandparents out there, and if you're a parent, not a grandparent, pass this on to your parents. The thing about grandparenting that makes it work and makes it effective and makes it beneficial is not how many lectures you can give your grandkids or how many things you can teach them, although, of course, you want to do that whenever the opportunity presents itself. But the real measurement, the real yardstick is how much do you know about them? I mean, it's great that Linda knows uh, Gracie's best friend is Chloe, and, you know, 
to know what's going on, to know when their next game is, to know what they're liking, to know what's their toughest thing in school. I've taken the – I have a goal, and I'm not holding myself up as a great example. I'm doing this almost because I feel guilty for not doing more, but I'm trying to get together one-on-one with each grandchild sometime during the year and just take them to dinner wherever they want to go. And, man, they pick some exotic things. One seven-year-old wanted to go for sushi. Can you believe that? And he ate a lot. And he ate a lot of sushi. But but anyway, I take him out there and I ask them questions. And I have a big book I take notes in. Something about me taking notes on their answers really gets them into it. And I think I get a lot more thoughtful answers than I would if I was just like, hey, uh, how's it going? Tell me about your life. You know, I ask them everything from what their favorite subject is to what they're worried most about lately and so on and so on. And man, oh man, one on one—that's the way to get to know a, a grandkid. I highly recommend it. Well, I can't remember if we—I think we said this on the radio on the week that you had lunch with Eliza, who's uh, ten. And one of the questions Richard asked her on his little grandfather date was, "What is something that you would never do?" And I'm hoping she'll say, "I'll never do drugs. I'll never smoke." Blah blah blah. But she didn't say that. No, she just thought about it for a bit, and then she said, you know, I am never going to ride a bike naked in public. <laughs> and she was blown away. It was like, whoa, what made you think of that? Well, I was like, well, I'm glad for that, but uh, what about that? And she said, well, I was in San Francisco with my family, and there was a man, a boy, riding his bike naked. And I said to myself, I will never do that. So you can't manipulate them. The point is, you don't want to. It's not an exercise in trying to get them to say what you want to say. It's an exercise in how do they think? What's on their mind? Great question is, what are you the happiest about? What are you the saddest about right now? What, 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 what do you worry most about right now? What's the hardest part of your life right now? What's the best part of your life right now? I mean, they, they'll give you some thoughtful responses. I, by the way. I don't do it with all the I do it with the ones over eight. I think once they're eight years old, we call it the age of accountability, right? They ought to be old enough to to have a serious conversation with them. Now, the younger ones, you, you might do well with them too, but it would be a little different kind of a conversation than we have with these eight-year-olds on up. Uh, on speaking on up, uh, we mentioned our RV trip last um, right after our reunion in July and. We took three 12-year-olds on an overnight, two overnights, for three days and two nights, um, in an RV, which we promised when the oldest child in the little group, and we group them up because we have so many, when the oldest child turns 12, we take them on a little RV trip, for those of you who missed that. And we had so much fun. Uh, after promising ourselves never, never to go to Lagoon again when our kids were little. Lagoon is a local amusement park. And it was miserable, and we just said, let's remember, never do this again. Well, 35 years later, we went back there with the grandchildren, and actually, we had so much fun. Even though it was 100 degrees, we had so much fun with those kids, and we learned so much about them, especially in the truck, which was hauling the RV. And, you know, just topics all the way from sex to friends to, you know, how the world is now and what their feelings are, when we had them, you know, two on three, it was really fun to hear what they had to say. Absolutely. So, you know, grandparenting is a great, it's like a great 
canvas that's waiting for you to paint whatever you want on it. There's so many creative things you can do as a grandparent to help the kids. But again, back to the caution, do it. Don't surprise your kids who are the parents by what you do as a grandparent. Have a meeting, get on the same page, do the things that they appreciate, not the things that might usurp their responsibility or their stewardship. And if you do that, you're going to be fine. And as for you young parents out there, um, again, the main thing we were talking about today at Education Week is how to help your kids be, become independent, how to give them ownership of things so that they don't have this miserable, almost debilitating attitude of entitlement where they think they, the whole world owes them a living and they deserve everything they want. Steer them away from that, and one of the best ways of doing it is one-on-one -on -one conversation like we're talking about only as a parent to a child and getting them involved in service, getting them involved in helping other people, getting them involved in thinking about something other than themselves. Well, you know, it is an exciting time to live. Grandparenting is so different. When we think about our relationship with our grandparents, it was totally different. I barely knew them. I didn't know much about them. There was not much interaction uh, with them. They were older, a uh, generation older, and I didn't know them very well. But it is so different now as grandparents interact and interlace into the lives of these little children that have come to their families. It really is so crucial that we develop relationships because, hey, we think we're going to be with them for a very long time. But we're not. Well, I mean, we will be if we, you know, we, we want to see all our grandkids get married. How's that for a goal? That's a longevity goal for you. Now, well, I'm talking about even after death. Oh, yeah. We believe true, that we'll, we'll know in the afterworld and that uh, those relationships will go on and on. So what we can do here is very important. Now, as we sign off today, again, it was real gratifying to meet so many of you who listened to the show. If you like Iris on the Road, tell your friends about it and let's Build up a good community of parents and let's all help each other. And we'll see you next week on Hires on the Road.